Comrades, you are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade Jeff on the show. Uh, how's everybody doing today? Uh, we are recording early in the morning. Uh, we usually record at night, so like, like we have this, it's like this weird paradox of like this. You know, the show is called Good Morning Comrade. We usually record the shows at night and just broadcast them in the morning. <laughs> just like <laughs> it just stopped making sense. But uh, anyway, we have Sam Knights back on the show, returning champion. Uh, how you doing, homie? Good, good. Have that authentic morning uh, slowness here. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm, I was a little nervous to invite you back on because last time we had you, uh, you basically predicted like all of the horrible things that would happen when the COVID pandemic started. I don't know if you remember, but you just sort of like, like, like lined it up and you were just like, yeah, our economy is going to tank and like everything is going to get messed up and everybody's going to be like locked in their homes for months. And it was like, wow, okay, Sam was right, I guess. Damn, I don't remember that. It's nice to start the interview hearing that I was right because my memory memory of the early COVID days was uh, podcasting with people saying, "Eh, maybe it won't be so bad. Maybe it'll be just like a flu. Well, so you specifically I, said not the flu part, but like the economy part. <laughs> oh, uh, well, th- yeah. I mean, to be fair, I'm pretty much always predicting that the economy mm-hmm. is going to crash. And I'm wrong a lot of the times. Uh, this time I was right. But even when I'm wrong, I'm basically right because the structure is so rotten that it really could crash at any time. So yeah, it's a very rickety old boat, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Well, anyway, uh, I wanted to have you on the show just to talk about an article that you recently put out. Uh, It's an article in the lever. Is it the lever or the lever? How's it said internally? Do you know? Lever news. Uh, So I'm only a freelancer. I'm not privy to the pronunciation uh, conversations. I'm pretty sure it's lever, but it's, it's, it's not, it's neither. It's whatever, you know, it's like, it's what, however you pronounce it. It's, you know, if rotten tomatoes to a Brit is rotten tomatoes. So <laughs> that that's never going to change. Yeah. And I don't want to get you mixed up into like office politics either. That sounds like it get pretty tense and controversial. So, so let's just leave it at that. Well, I, I, no, I'm just saying like, as the freelancer, I, you know, I'm not privy to the, <laughs> the, <laughs> the internal uh, uh, brand discussions. So yeah. Lever, lever, just don't call it late for supper. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, uh, probably about two years ago, um, we had uh, a reporter on the show uh, that discussed uh, some of the human trafficking that's taking place in Georgia. We had a reporter by the name of Drew Favica come on uh, to discuss it. He was one of the main people reporting on it. And then also we had a friend of the show, Elizabeth Strader come on the show to talk about uh, the sort of labor side of it because it was uh, farm workers with a with a, a subject of this so I guess uh, really quickly because uh, you wrote an article in the lever or the lever 
um, <laughs> about uh, how the, the the upcoming Kroger's merger that that people are talking about, uh, or that is well, actually people aren't talking about it, but but people should be because it's actually very significant. Uh, and um, the so Kroger is one of the biggest um, grocery store chains in the country. Um, I guess to start us off, can you just sort of like line like line up a little bit about the uh, the the merger? Yeah, so um, it was announced October uh, 2022. I'm trying to remember that. I guess that's like about uh, 15 months ago. Yeah. Um, Albertsons is the other company involved here. So Kroger is proposing to take over Albertsons. Um, Albertsons is also a large chain, but it is not as prominent as Kroger. And the two companies, if their merger is approved, will become the clear rival to Walmart, which is the uh, the uh, dominant player in the grocery industry. Uh-huh. Um, if you followed the merger story when it first broke or broke when it first was proposed, there was a lot of controversy over uh, billions in dividends that were to be paid out to Albertson's um, uh, shareholders, uh, preferred shareholders, uh, which is to say uh, hedge fund types and institutional investors. Um, And there was uh, before that, and th- this was uh, I've learned this in a um, in a piece in the American Prospect Prospect, excuse me, by Maureen Kachik, um, that Albertsons um, that one of the I can't remember what it's called at this point. Sorry, but it's uh, one of the hedge funds that owned a lot of Albertson's shares was was talking about converting its preferred shares into common shares, and it it uh, caused a little bit of a nosedive in the uh, share price. And that stock that price. was s- stock price. It's the same thing. <laughs> share of stock. I don't know. Well, potato, potato. Yeah. Uh, actually, not that one. Tomato, tomato. Because no one said potato. <laughs> I've never heard anybody call it a potato before. No one has ever called it a potato. So, but anyway, the point is, is that the backdrop to this proposed merger uh, is Albertson's um, institutional investors uh, uh, looking for that looking for that value for their, for the shares that they hold. Um, and so shortly after that, this, this merger was proposed. Uh, and yeah, like I said, it's aimed at creating a rival to Walmart and it would really, it would, the, it would basically leave people, most people in the country with, 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 even fewer choices than they have now. It, it, Walmart, Kroger. Um, I'm trying to think of the third company that would be involved, but it's it basically be Walmart v Kroger, especially in a lot of places. There are a lot of places in the West where uh, towns will have like their main grocery stores will be a Kroger and an Albertsons, and they are they are to say that they are concerned about this is an understatement and. Yeah, 
a lot of uh, if 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 you follow Congress, you'll you'll notice, and you follow this story, you'll notice that a lot of um, lawmakers from Western states are raising the most concern about this, including Alaska's congressional delegation, which um, you know is two thirds Republican, basically. So uh, this is spooking a lot of people and um, drawing on all sorts of uh, uh, evidence or reasons why it's, it's scaring them. Um, Safeway was taken over by Albertsons uh, it, it, not too long ago. And, you know, people have bad memories of, uh, of, of how that merger impacted their town and a lot of uh, grocery workers were mm-hmm. made re- redundant. Um, and as I talk about in the um, in, in the story, that when there's a merger and when there's one company with with huge amounts of, of market power in their uh, uh, you know buying products for their inputs and, and oh. for their goods, they they can they have what's called monopsony power. It's not monopoly power. Monopoly power is a single seller. Monopsony is a single buyer. And so they can really dictate prices of of the goods sold to them. And that puts obviously downward pressure on prices and that puts downward pressure on on wages of workers um, who work these industries that supply the retailers. And we saw a lot of that with Walmart. When Walmart's uh, uh, when Walmart rose to prominence in the, in the 2000s and such, um, there were a lot of news stories at the time about how uh, suppliers were getting squeezed and they had to cut their wages and cut their costs aggressively. Um, so I would say that's kind of the backdrop to all this. And uh, yeah, I, I, I feel free to no. bring up any other aspects if, if I missed it. Well, no, I, 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 you mentioned the the sort of uh, the worker side of this as well, um, and I know that at very least, uh, UFCW, uh and the Teamsters and perhaps some other unions are also actively organizing at Kroger. And uh, what happens a lot of times when these mergers take place is there's job consolidation, then layoffs, and all these other deals, which is definitely going to have a made. We just saw, and it's a completely different industry. Uh, the merger between um, Microsoft and uh, Blizzard, and they, they had that even uh, the the UCW, the union, um, was essentially supportive of this merger. And unfortunately, uh, what ended up happening last week was there was just like thousands of layoffs uh, just pa- this past week. And and I, you know, I when I see this kind of stuff happen, I definitely fear for that. Yeah, that 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 is a big fear, and. Um... Albertsons and um, uh, uh, Kroger have made a promise that they will spin off all these stores in areas where they they have this overlap. But there's also a history of these spinoffs being proposed just to placate regulators. And then the, the spun off stores are usually asset stripped and whoever buys these, um, you know, historically a lot of companies that will buy these spinoff um, uh, stores just to, just to rip the copper wire out of them. And people are uh, rightly concerned that 
that this will happen again. Um, and yeah, the, the funny thing about this is that Kroger has endeavored to put a pro worker spin on this. And <laughs> it is actually, I, I will give them credit because it's, it's, it's not, you know, you read their argument at first and you're like, oh, damn, do they have something there? Which is what they say is that, well, Kroger stores and Albertson stores are unionized uh -huh. and Walmarts are not unionized. So do you want, you know, we will be able to compete with Walmart with unionized labor. But the uh, red flag that, that, that get, gets raised here is they also say that it will help them compete with Amazon. But Amazon, its foray into the grocery industry has been troubled to say the least. It is not at all a major player. Unionized workers at grocery stores do not necessarily have to worry about Amazon stores uh, uh, you know, coming in and taking their jobs and replacing them with non-unionized stores. So that's, that's a bit of a, a, a canard and, um, but it is an interesting tack that the company has chosen. And they did hire some uh, high, high, well-heeled, high-priced um, lobbyists to get them through this, including John Boehner. Oh. Yeah. So John Boehner's. I thought, he, I, I thought he just shielded cigarettes. Well, he, 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 I think he smokes them all day. So. <laughs> He's probably just chain smoking away, yeah. slamming down Merlot after Merlot, um, <laughs> thinking of ways to get this merger over the line. So I don't he, think he has to think too hard. I people think under 30 don't even know what we're talking about, by the way. No. <laughs> uh, oh, about Boehner? Oh, well, go go down a Boehner hole on Wikipedia maybe one day if you want to uh, uh, read some interesting tales of a guy who – did like the party. I'll give him that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he still does. But uh, yeah, I do think that just as an aside, a quick aside, I, I think that the, the regulators are, the Federal Trade Commission is definitely taking this seriously. And um, under Lena Khan, um, the, the, the head of the agency during the Biden administration, she's been very aggressive in trying to push the boundaries of antitrust enforcement. And it's it hasn't always been successful. And she knew that going in. She said, look, we can lose, but we got to try. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, you know, good luck to anyone challenging this, but whatever challenge they make, I'm, I'm sure it will go to where all things good go to die, AKA the federal judiciary. So um, I basically what I'm saying is if you're listening to this and you're thinking, Oh, well maybe the merger will get stopped. Probably don't think that because <laughs> if it doesn't happen, then you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Yeah. They don't get your hopes up. Uh, you are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, we have a uh, freelance uh, reporter, Sam Knight, uh, the, a story that he recently uh, put in uh, the lever uh, news, uh, how Kroger's merger push, uh, push lead, leads back to 
alleged uh, human trafficker. So let's actually get, um, so you mentioned earlier the monopsony power of, um, of Kroger or the, the power that emerges when you sort of have consolidation on the, on the uh, supplier end. Um, we mentioned, uh, I mentioned earlier that, um, that, that there was a story of um, horrible human trafficking, specifically taking advantage of farm workers who are on uh, these temporary visas. Uh, Sam, can you sort of talk about how these two things interact? Oh, yeah. So um, there is a, well, there are temporary um, non-immigrant worker visas that are given out in two uh, classifications, the H-2A, the H-2B. H-2A is uh, more for like hotel work, seasonal um, tourist work, things like that. H-2A can be for any uh, uh, matter of things. H-2B is specifically just for agriculture. And it traces its history to the Bracero program, which was, uh, if you say the Bracero program in the context of an economic historian, they'll sort of recognize it as an example of, of discrimination, brutal exploitation, um, you know, making people into basically non-people and, um, you know, uh, exploiting the hell out of, of Mexican laborers. And they, the, the, the rationale behind the program was that it was World War II and farms needed temporary labor to, uh, you know, because a lot of workers were going to work for armaments industries, if not just like straight up joining the army. Um, but it lasted for years beyond the war and it, it only was put to an end in the, in the 60s. Uh, it was revived as the H-2B program under Reagan during um, immigration reform push. And it really started to explode into use in the past two decades. And the reason is because after 9-11, there was, uh, there was um, obviously a crackdown on undocumented immigrants. And there were raids on farms throughout the Bush years where all these um, uh, undocumented farm laborers would be rounded up and arrested and deported. And um, so farmers really started to embrace the H-2B uh, uh, wait, I'm sorry. Did I make H2A is, is, is the farm work. H2B is the, ah, wow, that's embarrassing that I mixed that up. But in my defense, uh, it's, it's very early. Essentially like the H2A is for farm workers just going forward. Yes. I'm sorry. That was, that was an embarrassing mistake, but, um, so yeah, um, this program really started to explode after nine 11, and, um, and, and essentially what this is is a temporary status for migrant workers. Yes. For and people the, who don't have American citizenship. Correct. And the status is linked to your employer. So if you at, you know, like, I don't know, Apple Tree Farms hire me 
um, you know, a Mexican laborer from, uh, you know, like uh, Chiapas or something. Yeah, to pick potatoes. Yeah, that I did. I just say it was Apple Tree Farm, and we're picking <laughs> potatoes here. <laughs> okay, so if, yeah, the point is that your status in the country is tied to a single employer, which gives the employer obviously a tremendous amount of power, and that power is amplified by the fact that. You know, with the H2B workers, you might be living in some beach town or something or working at a hotel. When you're doing migrant farm labor, you're you're basically on a work camp. I mean, it's it's by just by the very nature of the work, you're out on a isolated in a farm. Uh, you know, you depend on your employer for everything for, you know, trips to the the, the supermarket. Um the employer can deduct certain uh, expenses from your paycheck, and um, you don't so, you don't qualify for minimum wage in most states. Right, it's it's rife for abuse, um, and sure enough, that's basically what's been happening as a matter of course. And there are weird how that works out when the when you make the conditions for abuse so very friendly then abuse takes place uh funny coincidence that and it's you know i spoke to a lot of farm labor advocates who uh who told me that once you make the decision to be undocumented it in many ways your your living conditions are much better Mm -hmm. than an h2a worker um you know, if you don't like your boss, you can quit. You can even work for an entirely different industry. You you, you go undocumented, you work on a farm, yeah. and your boss is trying to, like, you know, coerce you into doing things you don't want to do. You can just fuck off. And oh, can I say that on the air? I can bleep you. Okay. Sorry. Then you can just leave, and uh, that was unprofessional again. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, I mean, I, I mean, I honestly like understand the like, like what you're saying is that the rules are so like abusive towards uh, immigrant laborers, the ones who are quote unquote following the rules, that it makes significantly more sense, and it's much more freeing to just be an undocumented citizen and just like risk it for the freaking biscuit because like otherwise you're essentially a slave yep more or less that that's a pretty that's a pretty good summation and um yeah i mean it's um there there have been surveys uh recent surveys that have shown you know like a third of of h2a workers um describe conditions that, you know, are consistent with forced labor. They, they don't f- feel free to quit their job. You know, they, they, they um, you know, a, a much higher percentage also report coming into the work in debt, that mm-hmm. they are forced to take on debt to get to these job sites. And that's illegal yeah. under the program. That's illegal. It's, it's like they're not even following what little rules uh that they have 
And yeah, that's, like, that's like um what, what did you learn about like in like early American like uh indentured servitude essentially. It is it is indentured servitude. I mean the debt is also a powerful tool to keep them coerced because these workers, you know, they'll they'll come over and they'll hear that they're in they're now in like hundreds, if not thousands of dollars of debt and um Make no money. <laughs> Make no money. They they feel they have no choice, and in some cases, in the at least in the um, uh, the the major human trafficking case that we're talking about here, Operation Blooming Onion, the workers were not just were not only were the workers threatened, their families back home were threatened. So it's really like it's really this all encompassing fear, like yeah. So let's let's know, get it. Let's have a device. Let's get into it. So, uh, one of the one of the suppliers, essentially, and and before we do that, like like also, this is like the literally people that that like provide the food that you eat every single day. I just want to like to 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 say that like if if these people don't work like this and in the, in, under these conditions, at least like the way that they are, like these are the people that provide the food. If you are eating something right now that is fresh food, you are pro- it is probably picked by somebody that is like not. That is essentially going through the 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 this process essentially that is a part of this system. What there's a there's there's a very high likelihood. I, I believe the number is that one in ten agricultural workers are under H two A visas in the United States at any given time. Yeah. So um, a third of which. Report uh-huh. human trafficking conditions. I mean, that's just insane to just yeah. like think about that. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if that say that's like three to five percent of the entire agricultural workforce that says they're enslaved in in some capacity. I mean, think about if if that if that was in like, for example, China mm-hmm. or some other official U.S. enemy. Like, people would be shrieking that from the rooftops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's it's really one of these one of these deals where um, I don't know like like yeah it, it, we we sort of turn up our nose at countries that that don't do this but also we create the conditions where they're absolutely necessary the the you know I mean again the, the never ending thirst for for profit on the corporate side and the um, I mean the absolute need by a lot of these suppliers at the very least to, to, to cut costs, to keep it down so that they can, you know, put, put forward, you know, or at least the argument that they make is that they, they need to have the, every right of these workers to be stripped away in order to compete. Um, like that's, that, that creates a system where the workers are just like literally just like not even human. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, this issue, I'll have to say, um, studying this issue and reporting on this issue has got me really interested in land form. But I, uh, I, I still have yet to delve into my delve into studies on on land reform. I just like <laughs> to say, like, when I think about this and like, what's the solution? Like, I feel like the 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 real solution is is to let the workers own the land that they work. Oh. Yeah, okay. I like that. Anyway, I, um, you know. 
Yeah. Well, uh, you're listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, uh, GoodMorningComrade.com. Sam Knight on the show. Um, good morning, so, New Orleans. Good morning. Hope you're enjoying your chicory coffee and your powdered donuts. <laughs> Beignets, you mean? Yes. Um, so uh, just to sort of like uh, get in the specific of um, Southern Press. Uh, can you describe uh, this is one of Southern Press is one of the suppliers. Can you talk about them a little bit? So Southern Press is a grower and a manufacturer of blueberry juice. And they are also a um, Kroger has over the years, touted its partnership with Southern Press. They're based in Blackshear, Georgia, um, in, a, in the southeastern part of the state, closer to uh, Jacksonville than Atlanta. Um, basically Florida. Basically Florida. It was formerly, as I understand it, it was formerly tobacco country. And then, um, you know, people's Personal preferences started to change as, as, as it became more aware, more clear that um, cigarettes are definitely bad for you, um, even though, you know, maybe they make you look cool. <laughs> but so the, basically this part of the state switched from uh, uh, tobacco production to blueberry production, which has been, you know, I would say a net positive um, for people. Blueberries, blueberries are cool. Blueberries also make you look cool and they don't kill you. I mean, I guess unless you ate like a whole bunch of them and had a, had some tummy problems. Um, but that's, that's a skill issue um, at that point. So where was I? Right. Southern press, a, a blueberry grower and manufacturer. Um, Kroger has touted its relationship with Southern press over the years. They're the, you know, one of their local partners that they like to highlight and, um, Southern Press's CEO was in a Kroger uh, ad that, honestly, I'm not sure if it aired on any TV stations. It looks like it has in terms of its production, but it's it's on YouTube. And yeah. I, so I want to be clear here, maybe take a step back and say that when I set out to write this article, I had no intention of writing about the Kroger merger. I, what I did was I, um, I started looking into companies registered by or with the involvement of the lead defendant um, in, the, in the case, the, um, the, the, this major human trafficking case. Mm -hmm. And then I plugged those companies into um, the uh, Department of Labor seasonal jobs database to see who was hiring uh, the, the, this, you know, who was contracting with this woman's companies, with these women's companies. And one of them was Southern Press. And that started, you know, then I started searching around for other, you know, information about Southern Press and, and, and found uh, learned about Kroger's history with them. And it, it was to the point where uh, in September, Kroger 
issued a press release defending the merger, defending the Albertsons merger by saying, if the merger goes through, we will increase local produce on our store shelves by 10%. And they rattled off a list of, you know, their, their cherished preferred, you know, local, some of their local partners. And one of them was Southern Press. So I thought, whoa, okay, Kroger is promoting its merger by touting its relationship with Southern Press, who, according to public records, uh, hired Maria Leticia Patricia, which is like, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in corporate PR, <laughs> but I will say that if you are trying to win over the public um, by uh, on some controversial issue, um, you might not want to uh, tout a, a, a partner that, according to records, has, has used the lead defendant in the biggest human trafficking case uh, to come out of the United States in a long time. So that is sort of um, the Southern press intrigue here. So they're contracting with uh, uh, Maria Leticia Patricio's company and Maria Leticia Patricio is named or, or is the, the is the contractor that had this huge uh, human trafficking issue essentially yes according to federal prosecutors I, mm-hmm. I will say that she has pleaded not guilty mm-hmm. however there she was indicted with uh, 22 others I want to say I think 23 were indicted overall the initial indictment was 24 but one of the uh, co-defendants it turned out was actually dead. Um, so, so they took him off the indictment. Um, and four of the people who were indicted with Patricio have already pleaded guilty. Uh-huh. And three people in a related case that preceded the Patricio indictment also pleaded guilty. Um, which is to say that the, the facts don't look good for the defendant in this case, Um, or just like the basic, you know, developments, um, so to speak. Uh, Not to mention the fact that the process, and none of this made the article, because obviously like, you know, when you write an article, this a lot gets on the cutting room floor, but um, one of the issues in the case which is obviously still ongoing. It hasn't even, you know, the trial hasn't even started yet. And one of the issues there is that the discovery process is taking a long time, which is to say that prosecutors have a lot of evidence that that they need to go over and then share with the defendants before, you know, proceeding to trial. Uh So, um, you know, never went to law school, but I would say that if prosecutors are like having trouble sorting through the mountains of evidence they have against you, that it's not, it doesn't look good for you. Not looking good. Not looking good. So as far yeah. as like, um, as far as this in terms of um, any potential impact or any kind of like um, way that this could affect the merger is, do you maybe like, I don't know, maybe this is like a, inappropriate question, but do you sort of predict this being an issue for this merger here? 
Um, so I know that regulators in their effort to scrutinize this have been looking at all matters of issues, um, including agricultural issues. And, you know, the California's attorney general, Rob Bonta, who's looking into this, has said he's, he's concerned about the impact on the state's agricultural industry. Um, the Federal Trade Commission, in its uh, um, novel approach to antitrust, has said that we can sue to try to stop any merger where there's an anti-competitive impact on the labor market. So it's it's possible that this will in some ways color um, what goes forward. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. And um, maybe I shouldn't be the, the one to guess whether it does yeah, yeah. As, as the author of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, going into it, broadly speaking, like agriculture and, uh, labor markets have been scrutinized, uh, uh, with regards to this merger, a lot of it focusing on the, um, retail workers, which, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say that the um, the decision was initially FTC's um, you know decision on whether or not to sue to try to stop this. It was supposed to have come out already, and and, and it has been delayed. So I don't know that that's another interesting wrinkle in this, but. It might have something to do with this case, but like that might just be speculation as well. That's interesting. I mean, it's also just such a huge merger that there are, I'm sure there are tons of issues that they're going over. Um, so it, as a matter of course, it, it likely, um, you know, would, would have been delayed anyway, but I don't know. Um, you know, we'll see. No. I, I will say though, at, at, you know, to, to build off something I said earlier, is that even if the FTC invokes this and a whole bunch of other issues in a, in a very well thought out challenge of this merger, that the federal courts might just laugh at it because they're it's the federal courts. They, you know, what do you expect from them? Well, there. I mean, federal courts are almost entirely. I mean, well, not almost entirely, but very heavily. Uh, uh, occupied by by Trump appointees, right? Well, certainly at the at the higher levels, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm not even sure to the extent. Um, you know, Democratic appointees, I don't think, are necessarily that great on antitrust, mm-hmm. and that's true. I, I, you know, it seems like it's one of those issues where courts are reluctant to weigh in and to stop anything so you know maybe i'm wrong who knows we uh the future is unwritten uh-huh. yeah you mentioned also some other suppliers that had labor law violations as well uh that were a part of this kroger merger do you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so there have been several cases in um in recent years where kroger um, where suppliers will be accused of wage and hour violations to straight up human trafficking. 
And, um, you know, there have been three cases where they, they each involve a, a Kroger supplier and not necessarily just a Kroger supplier, but it's an emerging pattern where, um, you know, you see one after the other um, Kroger supplier accused of really heinous um uh, heinous crimes. And in one case, it's led to, in a, in a forced labor human trafficking case, it led to convictions. So advocate, farm worker advocates uh, have been critical of Kroger for some time um, for its policies, uh, especially because, so anyone who's been, you know, following farm labor issues in the United States for a while. Most people are probably familiar with a group called the Coalition of Immokalee Workers. Okay. Um, they've organized farm laborers to get growers to agree to basic minimum standards of, of, of treatment where, you know, um, to basically root out human trafficking, to pay living wages or something more approximating a living wage. And um, that work in the 90s and 2000s led to the creation of something called the Fair Food Program, which was sort of a, a standardization of these contracts and of the, of the basic, um, you know, terms that farm laborers are entitled to under these deals. And there have been some very large corporations who one doesn't think are friendly to labor, but have still agreed to, to you know, these basic standards in this program, among them Walmart, um, you know, synonymous with, with you know, the, visceral hatred of organized labor. Trader Joe's also a member of the fair food program. Trader Joe's literally just sued to uh, try to have the National Labor Relations Act thrown out as unconstitutional, yeah. following, following in Elon Musk's footsteps. Uh -huh. So this is to say that, you know, other corporations who by no means have been considered friends of labor have have agreed to this program and Kroger when asked about it is it, they're not having it at all um and in one episode that I mentioned in the story there were activists uh investors you know who try to who buy shares of companies and try to use it to to force through um socially progressive change and such worker friendly such you know et cetera et cetera and so they proposed, uh, they wanted to propose at a shareholder meeting, a recent shareholder meeting that Kroger should join the fair food program. And Kroger did not let the vote happen and asked permission um, from the SEC to exclude the proposal from its shareholder uh, convention. And the SEC said, yeah, that's fine. This is, is the, the rule is like, oh, this is micromanaging the company or something. Yeah. And so Kroger, you know, Kroger is pretty insistent that it wants nothing to do um, with the fair food program. 
And the funny thing is you can see why companies that are hostile to labor join the fair food program just by looking at this recent history of Kroger and these, these suppliers that get caught up in, in, you know, in these uh, labor law violations. It's, you know, companies join the fair food program because they don't want to be sued for facilitating human trafficking. Right. It's, 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 it's something that like, keeps the current model sustainable it's like reforms to keep the model going as a which which like is opposed to anything that's going to upset the you know potato cart right and you know to be clear like the the fair food program gives a lot of really good material benefits to workers who would otherwise lack it and um you know, it's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm not trying to say it's not a good thing no, I, I, for the workers, I, but like, like structurally speaking, it's not, it's not undermining it either is what I'm trying right, to say. Right. I mean, it, it does, you know, it's, it's, it does give the workers some, some muscle and some teeth, right? Like they are, they get um, workers rights training on the job, on the clock. They get, uh, access to a complaint line, a 24 hour hotline that they can call at any time and have their issues resolved in a sort of non-confrontational, like, you know, anonymous, you don't lose your job kind of way, but, you know, we'll remediate your workplace um, kind of thing. Um, so it does, it, yeah, it obviously does provide some real tangible um life improving benefits to these workers. But as you said, yeah, it doesn't it it, it it's not a threat to They're not capitalism. inviting they're not inviting the United Farm workers in and be like, hey, you just organize our people. Right. <laughs> um you know, but it it does operate in a union like sort of way. Sure. And um, a, service, a service capacity. Uh yes. That yeah. Um but yeah, and, and Kroger has really just really has shown a lot of hostility to the idea of even joining the program. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's really, I, I think that's really interesting. You know, you brought something up that I didn't, I mean, I guess it, it does make sense to me now that I think about it, but I didn't know that that was a thing that like, um, I guess holders of capital would do. They would just like activist capitalists, as you sort of mentioned, and they would just go in and buy parts of companies and attempt to uh, implement <laughs> essentially social reforms on them. That's that's a phenomenon I'm not actually super familiar with. Really? Yeah. I mean, I think it was bigger, um, you know, like 20 years ago, shareholder activism, maybe not. Um, I think Ralph Nader was big into that for a okay. while. And, you know, I think that I don't necessarily, you know, I don't know. I, uh, they're not the enemy, but like the, 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 the incentives are just not there to do that. You know, it's all, there's a limited, a limited sort of, uh, I guess limited sort of like, you, you can only go so far with it. I do, I certainly don't begrudge no. people for trying it. But yeah, insofar as like the land reform issue that I was talking about <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah. Barring like, you know, 
five percent of Archer Daniels Midland and being like, Ooh, what if we redistributed the land in yeah. ten acre parcels <laughs> or whatever? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so just to sort of uh, you're listening to HIV LP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade, uh, goodmorningcomrade.com. Um, and I mean, again, this is also something that's not like I don't know. Kroger makes billions of dollars a year in profit, right? And implementing the fair food system or any of these other sort of like reforms that you mentioned is not something that would break them, would it? No, <laughs> obviously, no, of course not. I it's, mean, it's, you know, it's just a, you know, I don't need to tell you that that bosses just like to have total control. Right. And, you know, I'm sure they, they look at this as, as, as something that's restricted, restricting to them, restrictive. And, you know, based on the brutal exploitation that happens in farm labor, they, they correctly view that they can manage their costs better by, you know, having more of a, of a, a worker unfriendly approach, so to speak. Yeah. And, and, and it's going to essentially this, this and, 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 you know, switching from various suppliers and like being able to like part of the reason that it's hard to root out, um, you know, root out abusive contractors in, in the industry is I think is it's very easy for, uh, for retailers uh, and big name retailers to just, you know, quietly switch from one supplier to another. Right. And you'll, you'll see cases in farm labor where some farm labor contractor gets debarred from the H2A system. And so they have like a family member register another company and like what changes? Only that, that, literally happened in, that literally happened in the Georgia case as well. Yes. It did, yes. Yeah, totally. And 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 that's like like that is how a lot of these abuses and a lot of these yeah, like you mentioned, debarring or whatever, kind of like the system perpetuates because it's not like it's not these are contracting companies. They're like literally you go there, you file for the LLC and you find some people and you hire them and you say, you know, pick X number of uh X number of potatoes and, 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 uh, and Maria Leticia Patricio had like you know, I want to say over a dozen LLCs on the Georgia um, state database alone. If not, I think it had been a while since I've looked on the database, but that, I think that's understating it. More like two dozen. She had a lot of companies. Uh -huh. Yeah. And and it's a system that like I don't know the the the, the, the reform of that is not looking very good. And things like the uh kroger albertson's merger does not seem to be heading that into an, any better of a direction no and i will say the department of labor like a, a lot of this comes down a, a, one of the reasons why a lot of this goes on is is dol wage and hour division just does not is not given the resources that it would need by congress to prosecute a lot of these cases so a lot of these farmers 
rightly know that it, they can do they can abuse the hell out of their workers and no one is going to stop them even if it's like hella illegal mm -hmm. yeah so uh sorry that was a gratuitous hella i shouldn't have said that it's all right hella? I'm not, not even from california so. i think you can say hella on radio though yeah, and I know it's not like a censorship. It's just kind of like, I don't know, maybe not a word that people are still using in 2024. Does that just mean you're old? I guess so. <laughs> I like hella. I think it's good. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Uh, I'm not gonna put the screws to you for it. I'm not trying to steal Oakland Valor, though. Is, uh, uh. There, Oakland's doing well. Actually, no, the other side of the bay is doing good right now with the Niners. But uh, you know, the Oakland. Oh, actually, no, they don't even have a team anymore. Now, 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 uh, the Niners own them all. We have the whole the whole thing. Oh yeah. Oh, you're talking about the sport that uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend plays. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, anyway, uh, as we sort of wind down. Uh, Anything else you want to sort of uh, touch on that we didn't get to that you wanted to on this article? Mm, I don't know if I do. I think we covered a lot of ground here. Um, yeah, just um, just a, a general exhortation to your listeners to um, – keep the farm workers struggle in the forefront of your consciousness because so much of this flies under the radar. And even though we're talking about this case as like the biggest human trafficking case to come out of the United States in a long time, I would venture to say like maybe one in 10,000 people may have heard of it. I don't know. Yeah. It's just that the farm farm workers are so abused in this country that people just get accustomed to it and 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 sort of think that it's just normal that's just how it is it's it, it's you know no more unnatural than the air we breathe and the water we drink and it's that's far from the truth and it really exposes the ugly nature of the United States of, of the economic system here. And it really drives home that, you know, people are not just being brutally exploited in other countries. It's, it's happening here. It's happening on a systemic scale. And, you know, people just need to really, um, in my opinion, really like keep, keep the farmer struggle at the forefront of their mind because it's it's awful it's it's unacceptable it's it's a national shame and it's got to change like we 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 it's a it's a moral imperative to really um to really change this system and we need people especially people in labor talking about it i mean Anyone who's familiar with the history of, of labor rights in this country knows that, and maybe this is the thing that I wanted to bring up, but then that, that farm workers have been sold out time and time again, um, most shamefully when, when the National Labor Relations Act was passed uh, you know, in, in the 1935. And 
the Roosevelt administration and Democrats in Congress just said, oh, we got to carve out farm workers to not upset the segregationist Democrats in, uh-huh. in the South. Uh, so that's what that is the reason why farm workers and domestic workers are not included in the NLRA is because of Jim Crow. Right. And what we're seeing here is is a vestige of Jim Crow. Like the reason really when it comes down to it, that these human trafficking cases are, you know, that this system is basically allowed to be built on on human trafficking um, in some capacity is is because of you know, we have not, we have not fully grappled with our, our history of systemic racism and, and what that means on a, on a real material level for the working class. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, again, just to, to sort of like sum that up, um, this is a very direct, a very direct and glaring example of what happens when a policy decision or a, a policy concession is made to essentially racists yes and i don't even know what the you know what the breakdown in congress was then in terms of the vote like did they even have to do this to get the nlra passed like the 30s like democrats had some huge numbers in the after roosevelt was elected and in the 30s like did they even have to do this and maybe i should have done a little more research before rhetorically asking that question on the air but you know it yes it is an example of the long-term effect of triangulating away and um making concessions to to awful reactionaries is it will literally haunt you for 90 years yeah or longer (laughs) 90 90 years and counting yeah almost Uh, 90 years and counting well, yeah, Sam. Um, what can we find more of your work? What have you been up to? Um, t- tell us about you know what you're doing. Uh, well, <clears throat> uh, I would suggest if you want to read my work, uh, you can uh, search Sam Knight on either truthout.org or um, Lever News. Oh my gosh. It's uh, yeah. Levernews.com. And, and also I have some work in uh, dollars and cents, which is a great publication. Um, especially if you are like me and you studied economics, um, but you studied it because uh, you were appalled by uh, the way that the economic system is structured and justifications for it. And you heard all these insufferable economics profs drone on and on and on about how misery is, is really the only way it can be. Yeah. That's what supply supply and demand means. Yes. So yeah, dollars and cents is this, is this great publication that um, covers economics, uh, but from a critical, uh, uh, you know, left sort of, um, you know, analytical framework and uh for lack of a better term and uh yeah i have a piece out there recently and i'm working on another uh right now that will be out in the february march issue okay cool well, if you want to come on the show and talk about it when it comes out hit me up <laughs> <laughs> yeah i might all right well thank you so much sam knight uh and thank you everyone for listening to good morning comrade you can get uh listen to us every week on saturday at 10 a.m on 102.3 whiv fm in new orleans uh you can also 
Uh, go to our website about uh, listening to back episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Sam. We love you. Bye-bye. <laughs>